Hello everyone and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. We begin, as we always do, by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri peoples, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And indeed, we recognise all traditional custodians of all the lands on which this podcast is being listened to today. The final episode of our look back to 2023 is a podcast episode which is about empowering women in the workplace and discussing the relevant topic of why mentoring matters. Now, in this conversation hosted by IPA's then CEO, Caroline Walsh, she speaks with Tanya Rishnor, who is now the Deputy Secretary of Employment and Workforce at the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, and Nina Davidson, the Deputy Director General of Intelligence at the Office of National Intelligence, about how mentoring can and does benefit women during their careers and what a great mentoring relationship should look like. Now, if you are looking for a mentor in 2024, ask. Go and find and identify somebody and really come to that genuine relationship because you will find in this great conversation between uh, Caroline, Nina and Tanya that there are just so many benefits to to having a mentor. So uh, after this, I'm sure you will be inspired. But for the moment, settle back and enjoy this conversation about the benefits of mentoring and particularly as it relates to empowering women in the workplace. So to start us off, Nina, can you tell us about a time when someone coached or mentored you and how it made a difference? Yeah. For me in somewhat a lot of ways, Carolyn, it's less about a specific time. It's 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 that I have benefited over my career from uh, mentoring, coaching by a number of people. And when I look back uh, earlier in my career, I think Uh, I often think now that a lot of the time I don't think I was even conscious that I had these fabulous mentoring relationships where part of it was just, I guess, if you like, the role modelling of colleagues that I worked with, but it was also the way, without me even being conscious of it, that they were advising and guiding along the way. And that certainly um, shaped my career. Uh, It was influential in opportunities I pursued because uh, people took the time to talk to me about how I might consider options. Uh, And also um, uh, another thing that comes to mind, particularly today, as as we're uh, reflecting on on Margot and her contribution in in many ways. You know, Margot's someone from whom I benefited from her advice and and guidance. Uh, I had the great uh, privilege of working uh, with her when she was at Prime Minister and Cabinet. And I can recall just side conversations where she was providing advice and guidance to me, which was incredibly valuable. Mm, Lovely. And Tanya... Yeah. Is there an ex- a great example of mentoring and how it supported you? So, I mean, like Nina, I've had mentors throughout my career and, in fact, at any point in time I've often had more than one um, mm. and they give me different things and they give me different advice and different perspectives. Um, the examples that kind of most readily came to mind for me, um, and Nina's already mentioned Margot, who was just this amazing 
force of nature and all of us who ever worked with her know how privileged we were to work with her. Um, I was going to reflect on Caroline Edwards, who is also a friend and mentor and has worked for so long in uh, Indigenous affairs and Prime Minister and Cabinet um, and in health uh, with us through COVID as well. I still remember the day when uh, I was being encouraged to apply for a promotion and, you know, like most women, I said, oh, I'm not sure that I'm ready. I'm not sure. Surely there must be someone better. And Caroline took me aside and she said, why do you think that you know better than the people around you and the people who are mentoring you and the people who are asking you to apply? Because actually, they're much better at looking at you and reflecting on how you fit, you know, within the organisation um, so, you know, if you can't trust yourself, trust those around you, trust your mentors, because they won't be encouraging you if they don't think you're ready and if they don't think you can do it. Mm. Um, so a fantastic, you know, a fantastic moment of reflecting and trusting in yeah. and what your mentors are telling you. That's a great example. Yeah. I think of making a real difference. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It really is. And, and then I loved what you said about sometimes it's not even a conscious no. mentoring relationship, no, no. Um, but sometimes they do really stand out. So they I, do. And, and I think it's often what's happening almost unconsciously and then what that builds to, because then as, as Tanya said, it's you'll have a range of people that you go and seek advice from, you know, depending on what you need at that time, or people might be offering that to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, great. Just before we get into what makes a good mentor, I just wanted to reflect on two women who stood out for me, because I've had a yeah, range of people, men and yeah. women who have supported me, but I had a particular circumstance that stands out because I had one of my four kids was really unwell and quite unpredictably unwell for a period. So I actually took six months off work and then had to reintegrate back into my senior executive role and what would that look like and how would I take that on? I, for a short period, I was working for two days a week. Um, and two women, Stephanie Foster and Janet Connell, yeah. both supported me during that period um, and helped me see that actually life is a series of chapters um, and sometimes the chapters aren't quite what you hoped that they mm. would be. But it also taught me to think about how else can I help other people who mm. might be struggling mm. when their chapter isn't going the way that they wanted it to go mm. as well. So that's just my yeah. my own personal reflection of two that, that really stand out for me. It's a really great example. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always that knowing that there will be another chapter. That's there right. will be, and you get to write that chapter. Yeah, nothing lasts forever, right? right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, Nina, can you help us and our listeners to think about what makes, what are the characteristics that makes for a good mentor and a good mentoring relationship? Mm. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, and and we've sort of touched on it. I think even in in just talking about some of um, our reflections and experiences, uh, oft, often it just is an organic thing that happens, but but not always that. Um, I, I think that some of the ingredients are openness and honesty. So it's being, you know, willing and um, able to have honest conversations. And that includes, particularly if this is a, if it's a formal mentoring relationship, um, that if it's not working, um, that that's okay. It's finding the, the, the right person for you at the right time. Uh, listening, uh, 
listening in a two-way sense, of, of course, is, is really important. Uh, reflection, uh, I think, too. So uh, I guess speaking from the, the, the perspective uh, as as a mentor uh, in, on some occasions, it's it's sort of um, being able to listen and, and reflect on what the other person's uh, experiencing uh, and being a sounding board, being just able to pose what are hopefully helpful questions uh, as, as as people are working through, um, uh, you know, it might be particular issues. And, and on particular issues, I think that can be quite helpful, uh, particularly in the context of formal mentoring relationships where it's, if you like, a structured um, uh, set of um, discussions, you know, to, to have some in real life issues um, that, that you're working through that the you can use the, the mentoring relationship to just test, test ideas. It's not about uh, getting direction or necessarily answers, but it's just to kind of work through. Most often, you know, I, I find in those conversations, it's Yep, that sound. You're on the right track. You know, go forth and 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 do. Particularly for women, you know, often Tani, you touched on this. It's that confidence and self confidence issue. So it's just kind of working working through some of that. And the other thing I'd I'd say just about the characteristics of a a good mentoring relationship. There's just often two way value. I, I know I get such a lot out of um, uh, the relationships in which, if you like, I play the role as as mentor. And every conversation, you know, I, I walk away with something, thinking about thinking about something in a different way, which is is terrific. And just really value having the opportunity to to understand uh, the perspectives of colleagues uh, in in a range of roles too. Mm-hmm. Nick, can I just ask you a follow-up question, Anna? Because you did say at the beginning that sometimes there's a relationship that just doesn't quite work. Yeah. What would your advice be for someone who is either a mentor or a mentee and they're thinking, I'm not sure this gels? Yeah. How do you navigate that? Yeah, well, look, it's it's, it's something that I think it's always important to talk about right up front. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of part of the initial kind of conversation so that then it just sort of creates that room if it's not gelling it doesn't work we've recognized that up front and it's it's okay you know not not to to continue on so that's just a if you like a, a kind of basic uh, a basic way of, of laying uh, the, the groundwork and and you know maybe even setting a point if it's establishing uh, a new formal sort of set of me- mentoring discussions is let's come back and check in at the 6 month point you know is this still working is it giving you what you need and if it's not that's okay you know it might be you know maybe i can help you find someone else who might um you know just be better placed to to provide you what you need at this time as as the mentee just to know it's okay to 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 just be honest and say, look, thanks, um, but this this is just not giving me what I what I need right now. So, and it's not to say that maybe a bit down the track or if different issues come up, you might want to re- reconnect with that that person. It's back to your point, Tanya, that often at any one time, you know, you'll you'll have a number of mentors uh, who are, uh, are sort of playing a role in in, in your journey, uh, yeah. and and so it's just you know what 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 you need and and what you can you know best. Um, uh, get that that sounds very transactional I don't mean it that way mm. but just um you know what what you can um uh um have in that relationship yes yeah, it's, it's interesting isn't it I, like I absolutely agree Nina and and I now often start 
any any mentoring relationship. I mean, firstly, the first time you're ever asked to be a mentor for someone, you are completely humbled and thrilled yes, um, and yeah. take that opportunity incredibly seriously. Absolutely. So often people will say, oh, I wasn't sure about asking you. Most people relish being asked yes, to be a mentor or yeah. a coach yeah. or, or even just ask for advice. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, and I'll often start those conversations with what do you want to get out Absolutely. of this relationship? Absolutely. Um, and and part of it is having those honest conversations. And I will seek out different mentors depending on the issue that I'm grappling with because sometimes I need someone to give me some tough love. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I need someone to help build my confidence. Sometimes I need someone who's a really different thinker yeah. and will give you a different perspective on an issue. So I will pick and choose who I ask for advice depending on what I'm wrestling with. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you shouldn't be afraid to do that. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Horses for courses. Absolutely. Different stages, different challenges. Thanks. So, Tanya, we've heard a bit about how mentoring can make a difference in women's careers and what a great mentor and mentoring relationship can look like. I'd I'd like to now reference the work of Margot McCarthy and her investment in the success of others um, and supporting other people. You worked with Margot at the Department of Health and Aged Care. Can you tell us a bit more about how Margot empowered other women? Yeah, and and look, and and Nina, as we mentioned earlier, Nina and I both had the privilege um, and the joy of working with Margot. Um, When asking, in in preparing for this podcast and asking for colleagues who had worked with Margot and who Margot had mentored, um, there were kind of three key kind of descriptors that kept coming up. Um, And one was, you know, she was absolutely fierce um, and fierce in a really gentle, unassuming way. But, you know, when you think about her career and her promotion within defence in a time when SES, you know, female SES in defence were not... Uh, not the not the rule. They were absolutely ex- the exception. To be the first female national security yeah. advisor for the prime minister as a woman is just an incredible feat. And then to move from that into social policy and into an area like aged care of you know really complex issues and challenges, she was absolutely fierce. She had this amazing curiosity and compassion. So she would always question, but it would be really, you know, questioning the curiosity and and really at the heart of the social policy challenge, you know, what is going on here? So it was a questioning that went to the issue, not the the person. Um, And the other word or or the other descriptor that always comes up is Margot was a class act. Mm, Yeah. and, you know, and, and it sounds kind of... I love but, that. But she was an absolute class act um, and no one who knew her would describe her as anything but stylish, direct, absolutely had a core of integrity and ethics and she brought that to every mentoring relationship and she specifically chose to mentor young women and, you know, both in the security um, and intelligence area because she was, you know, a leader in that area, um, but also in social policy and health and aged care. And across the APS, she was instrumental in setting up the APS Academy because she felt so absolutely fundamentally committed to those core values of the public service and seeing women 
take every opportunity to help build the public service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she she very deliberately mentored women. She very deliberately would, you know, often give you some really challenging questions about why we're doing it that way. But it was always about the issue and about making making both you a better leader but the public service a better place yeah. to work. Fantastic. We all want the public service to be a better place to work for everyone. Um, And certainly we've made some strides in gender equality and equity um, and parity across the service in lots of areas. But Nina, according to the Australian Women in Security Network, the share of women working in security roles ranges between 11 to 25%. How can mentoring help to bring this number up? Yeah. Good question, Carolyn. And and just to note there, yeah, we've still got a way to go across mm. security roles in, in terms of how, you know, women fill the broad range of roles uh, across our security work. Uh, I think mentoring can play a really important role, but I'd also say that mentoring is only one part of the puzzle uh, to improving career outcomes, um, uh, for, for including for women and, and women in security and intelligence. So one way that I think mentoring uh, can play a role is to help encourage people to consider, you know, career options and, and pathways that they might not otherwise consider. It's sort of to open up the thinking, even for women who are already in the the sector, but also for women who are outside of it, you know, who might who might not, you know, uh, just just have uh, such opportunities on on their radar. Uh, I think um, in in any sort of sector, uh, mentoring can help. Uh, women sort of navigate career paths and move into sort of leadership positions. It's by drawing on others' experience that can kind of help navigate the now. So I think that that's where, you know, again, it's another way that uh, mentoring uh, can can play a role. But as I said, mentoring is only one part of the the puzzle. You know, there are other, if you like, sort of broader um, uh, issues that organisations, you know, need to be aware of and and focus on. uh, And that really goes to the culture of of workplaces. Um, um, So really considering do all types of people feel welcomed and and valued? Uh, Is it a place where everyone feels that they're empowered to deliver and contribute. Uh, uh, and 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 this is if I'm stating the obvious here, but it but it matters so much because diversity is so important to delivering uh, effective uh, outcomes across the public service. So is there enough diversity of experience and perspective to really get those good Mm. um, uh, public policy outcomes that you were sort of talking about, Tani, that Margot was so committed to achieving? And and so we really need that diversity in our workplaces, uh, ensuring that our workplaces are diverse, that they're inclusive for women to come in, but also for, for people of all from all types of backgrounds. And and in and in having that sort of focus in our workplaces, it, it, it means that not only can we attract people to come in, say to, to my sort of sphere, the, the security sphere, but but also make it a better place for people to, to continue careers in as well. Mm, so. Yeah, great. You just talked about sort of the puzzle. Um, and mentoring just being one part of the puzzle. I think the other thing we need to think about is that women in the workplace is not the only sphere we need to be considering. So we know that women often juggle work and unpaid caring 
responsibilities. And according to the ABS, 62% of women spend five or more hours on, on unpaid indoor housework compared with only 35% of men. How can workplaces contribute to carving out time so that women have time to invest in their own careers, whether that be through mentoring or other avenues? Mm, yeah. Again, statistics that show that still we've got we've still got a way to go in, in, in dressing imbalances. And I and I know, you know, these sorts of um, statistics and experiences of women were really prominent too during the, the COVID lockdown periods of living and what and what that meant for what else women were sort of taking on. Look, I mean in a way this is is this is a broad brush response um, uh, but I think you know to, to boil it down to to allow women more time in the workplace to undertake uh, mentoring uh, uh, and as, as well to, to just do more and do more differently you know in their working days it's it's about creating conditions that make it just as possible more possible more accepted for men. Uh, to spend less time um, uh, uh, in the workplace and, and you know, perhaps it's feeling like or for whatever societal and cultural reasons that there that they might exist that they need to sort of put work ahead of um, other, um, other household responsibilities, caring responsibilities, so that the, the, the more that, you know, men do in, in the context of caring and household responsibilities, the more that frees up um, uh, our capacity uh, for the, the, the women in their, mm-hmm. in their partnerships, their constructs, uh, to, to, to sort of um, do more on the, on the work front. Uh, and, and from an organisational perspective, there are a variety of things that come, come into play there. How flexible are our work practices for all our employees? You know, what do um, what does access to flexible work look like? What what does access to parental leave look like, regardless of whether you're the primary or secondary carer? And there's been a lot of change over over recent years. You know, in in terms of policy changes, um, you know, um, legislative changes. To I think about when I. Uh, started uh, in my career, presenteeism was a, re- a real thing, you know, just being present in the office. Um, it, it Oftentimes, not always, uh, but it seemed to be more about how long you were there rather than the quality of the work that you're doing in the, in the time that you were there. And it, it wasn't... Um, it, it wasn't common. I, I won't say it wasn't acceptable, um, but 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 it just wasn't common for for men to, you know, be ducking out early to pick up the kids from school, uh, to take time out. But that's something I've seen, at, at least a shift in uh, over over my career, where uh, more men, given what we're talking about today, uh, are, are sort of making those decisions and are supported to make those decisions in their in their workplaces. And I think it's regardless of what sort of caring responsibilities people have or, or uh, it's just about how to get, uh, how, how to uh, support um, our staff, in my, my case as an organisational leader, uh, to have more flexibility to, to pursue their whole of life interests and responsibilities, whatever they are. I think, I think we've learned, I mean, you know, the last three years have been tough on everyone, but some of the benefits of COVID have actually meant we've learnt to look at working in different environments, working remotely, working from home in a different way. And organisations have shown that they can flex. And I'm hopeful that that will actually make, you know, work and 
um, opportunities uh, much more accessible to to women in particular, um, but also men and people from across the country. The other thing I often um, reflect on and, and particularly you know, I see time and again with young women kind of right in the midst of their career at kind of EL1, EL2 level, self-limiting and and actually censoring themselves before they actually even have an opportunity to be told, you know, no, this is not the opportunity for you or how are we going to make this work? You know, I, I will hear them saying, oh, look, you know, we're thinking about having a family or I'm, you know, pregnant. I don't, I'm not going to apply for that promotion. And I say, why not? You know, what is it? Because this is, as you said, Carolyn, this is a chapter. And actually, if you're the best person for the job, you're the best person for the job. And I will wait for you. I will make arrangements for that. So, you know, my, my encouragement for them is also don't be your own censor. Mm-hmm. I completely endorse that. A small anecdote from me. I had my first ever interview for an E or two role on my first day of maternity leave with my first baby. And I got the job and they waited for me and it was fantastic. It was great. But there were leaders in the public service who were willing to do that. Well, not willing. It was... It was a benefit to them. Absolutely. It was a benefit to them. And I keep saying to young women, you know, like the organisation gets as much out of you as as you get out of it. So go for it. Great. So we're, we're nearly out of time, but I'd really like to pose one final question to both of you. What would be a call to action? What is something that all of us can do each day that might be able to empower other women around us? That's that's a big question, and and in think so I'm going to take a little bit of leeway and say not just one thing, but I mean I always feel you know I need to lead by example. I need to be as courageous as I'm asking you know the women around me to be. So you know part of it is actually leading with courage, um, and leading with authenticity and integrity. Um, Part of it is creating the environment where women can actually have a voice and and amplifying that voice. Um, and the other one that I often say, and I've had to learn, you know, through through my career, is stop saying sorry. Don't apologise if you don't mean it. Um, so often, particularly women, start with, oh, sorry, I was late, or sorry, I couldn't make it, or sorry, I, you know, I just wanted to do this. Take out sorry. Take out just. Stand by your statements. You've, you've earned the right to be at that table. Use that opportunity to use your voice. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, Tanya. I think, look, I think they're all really great, um, uh, really great points and, and terrific things to build in day by day. The thing that came to my mind too was really around uh, voice, you know, uh, ensuring uh, that, that women uh, in, in my organisation across the service um, have opportunities to find and use their voice uh, and the amplification point uh, uh, that, that Tanya made uh, too. I, I, I think, you know, it's valuable and important and it's recognising contributions. Um, I, this is something I think about not just for women, it's women, men, all contributions. I, I think that um, uh, we can all just get caught up in the in the doing and the delivery and, and sort of not... Uh, taking the time to sort of recognise and, and value uh, the contributions that, that people are, are making and that in itself sort of builds 
you know, confidence and 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 people's, um, I, I think, field of vision for the next thing too. Mm. Amazing. Thank you, Nina, and thank you, Tanya, for such a fantastic and empowering conversation today. Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you. It's been a great conversation. It has. Let's continue it. So there you go. A very big thanks to Nina, to Tanya, and to Caroline for this great conversation. And indeed, a big thanks to Caroline for her wonderful leadership of IPA over the past few years, where she has been an enormous supporter of Work With Purpose and has put so much time, effort and energy into the program. And it's great to hear that in the recent surveys about IPA, Uh, that the podcast remains the most favourable channel for many of you out there. So a big thanks for that feedback. And we certainly will be continuing bringing these podcasts to you throughout 2024. Now, if you do get a chance to rate or review the program on your favourite podcast catcher, it does help for the program to be discovered. We do hope that you have enjoyed uh, the reruns of 2023's most popular Work With Purpose episodes, and we will return to normal programming in a fortnight where we will have a fresh slate of Work With Purpose topics for 2024, and also some more unearthed conversations from you the members of the Australian Public Service. But thank you very much. My name is David Pembroke, and it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 